Welcome to Brave. Be inspired by the best leaders of Southeast Asia tech. Build the future, learn from our past, and stay human in between. I'm Jeremy Ao, a VC founder and father. Join us for transcripts, analysis, and community at www.jeremyao.com. Hi, Vince. Welcome to the show. Hi, Jeremy. Thank you for having me. It's such an honor. I'm very excited because you are a founder and operator and you're building out from Vietnam with some user experience. And I'm excited to hear your point of view on Vietnam and Southeast Asia and the fact that you're working with a very hot vertical, which is targeting the medium and small size companies that are out there in Southeast Asia. So excited to talk more. Yeah, I'm very excited to be the first Vietnamese founder on the podcast and uh, happy to share with on the audience about what's happening in Vietnam, about the startup scene and the opportunities, as well as the, the challenges, especially for the uh, B2B SaaS in Vietnam. Awesome. Amazing. So Vince, can you tell us a little bit more about who you are professionally? Professionally, I was a corporate guy. I've been working for like 10 years in uh, different multinational companies like Unilever, GlaxoSmithKline, and then working for a portfolio companies of a uh, private equity fund in Vietnam, where I was having a chance to launch uh, Dairy Queen, the ice cream brand of Warren Buffett, into Vietnam market. At that moment, I got a chance to win the full price scholarship to pursue my MBA in the States. Awesome. And then after that, you the States, where do you go? I went to uh, Arizona State and uh, did my MBA at the Thunderbird School of Global Management, which is now a part of uh, Arizona State University. Why did you decide to become a co-founder of Busy Vietnam? What was so interesting about the problem? In my previous life at the corporate world, I was involved a lot with launching new business into Vietnam market or launching a new brand with Unilever, Smith-Klein. And um, I think that I am very interested in doing new things, new projects, and uh, having skills to, to build up a new venture. So that's that's the area where I was always interested in. And when I did my MBA in the U.S., I got a chance to expose to many U.S. tech startups when I was running a angel investment network for the school in the States. At that moment, I looked into different verticals uh, of tech startup in the U.S. and I got really interested in B2B SaaS. I came across the uh, a company called Build.com which is also a publicly listed company in NASDAQ. I think it's, it's a great idea to help companies to manage the cash flow better. I looked deeper into the Vietnam market and I found that cash flow management is a problem for all the companies everywhere in the world of all size. And especially in Vietnam, I read a report from KPMG saying that about 50% of Vietnamese companies got a problem to access to capital. And uh, compared to their peers in the region, the cash-to-cash conversion cycle is usually longer, about 16 to 20 days. 
So I think it's a critical problem and waiting for a, a great solution. So that's why the idea for Busy come from. And when I came back to Vietnam, I uh, looking for a CTO co-founder to, to start building this startup together. Amazing. And why did you know this was the right thing to be inspired by and localize for Vietnam? Because it happens a lot, right? So many folks are working in America and then they come back to Southeast Asia. So we saw that for the HBS folks, Harvard Business School folks <laughs> doing the MBA in America. They were like, oh, we like using Uber. So let's go and you know, found Grab. They founded Gojek. Did you go there? You were like thinking to yourself that like, I would like to look for an idea or you saw the idea. Like, How did you decide this was the right or the one idea that you really wanted to experiment with? Yeah. My goal after MBA was always to come back to Vietnam to build something. And I look into B2C and B2B at that moment. In Vietnam, as you may be familiar with, there are so many B2C startups. But for B2B, there are only a few. And I think this is a, a like kind of a green field that where I can really make an impact. So that's why I decided to focus on B2B SaaS. And I think the timing was very right when um, the government mandated on the companies in Vietnam to adopt e-invoices. The deadline uh, at that time was uh, 2021. So I think it's, it will be a, a great opportunity to capitalize on because when all the companies start using e-invoice, that's where the, you can start the transform digitization and digital transformation for companies in Vietnam easier, especially in the financial operations. So what have you been seeing for the growth of Vietnamese enterprises? Because normally you look at it as three categories, right? The small, the medium, and the large. So how would you describe the different trends for each vertical in Vietnam mm-hmm. in 2021? Yeah. yeah, so in total in Vietnam, we have right now about 800,000 companies. And uh, about 90% of them are small and medium businesses. But if you look at the, the, the micro level, Vietnam is like a hot scene, you know, a hot destination in Southeast Asia where we attract FDI and also investment in for VC into Vietnam markets. So there's a lot of business going on here. <laughs> so why is Vietnam so hot? Why is there so much business going on? I, I think because of the stable growth of the, uh, the macro economy. And then also the government is really supporting foreign investment. The legal framework, the, the legal environment, as well as the uh, politics is also stable. So I think that's what uh, attracts foreign companies and investors to Vietnam. What's interesting, of course, is that Vietnam is, of course, not just a stable company place to be in. It's also seeing a lot of digital transformation. So there's a lot of engineers, there's a lot of computer engineering, there's a lot of startups, there's a lot of engineering teams being built out there. There's a lot of startups being formed by domestic founders. So why is Vietnam so hot? Well, I think first is it's kind of like a uh, the macro economy strategy from the government to push forward the digital transformation for companies as well as governments. So in Vietnam, we have a propaganda from the government with the slogan, Make in Vietnam. So that promotes startups and digital products in Vietnam. So I think that's uh, one of the things that supports the uh, local startup scene in Vietnam. 
Yeah, and obviously, if you look at the growth of uh, and the success of of all the B 2 C tech startup in Vietnam, I think with 90 million population and the uh, the growing of middle income population, I think that's uh, very attractive. Amazing. And what's interesting, of course, is that as you built this out, this actually is not your first startup, right? This is your second company that you've built because your first company was at Knowledge Key. So tell us more about Knowledge Key. What did you, why did you build it and what did you learn? Yeah. It's like a marketing brand consultancy at that moment. I founded the company with one of my colleagues at Unilever after a few years where we already got experience in network, in brand building and, and running campaigns. So my co-founder and I started to to build it as a, like a, a, how I say, a hustle. <laughs> what did you learn from that? Mm-hmm. It was a great experience, but I learned that it's for a consultancy firm, it's very, very difficult to scale because it's relied on the, the key people at the company. At that moment, I realized that my next company, uh, my next startup would be something that is really scalable. <laughs> so, I mean, it's a tough thing to learn because so many founders if you look at the background, is this is not their first time, it's the second time, the third time, the fourth time. Mm-hmm. So why is it that you learned that you want to make something more like product or technology oriented? What drove that dynamic for you? Because I know you're saying like it's hard to scale, but what else was there? What does it mean for people who don't really understand what that means? Yeah. Well, I uh, I got the, the inspired a lot by tech startup in the US and, and other startups in the regions where we can really make a big impact on the society or the business environment. So it is my inspiration to build something bigger. When you think about bigger, a lot of founders are thinking about how do you make something big? Did you know that it was going to be big when you started building busy or you were like, let's start small? How do people think about big or small? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, uh, if we look at other markets where we see similar business model that was already proven, like Bill.com in the US or Unified Post in Europe, those companies has been around for 10, 15 years and they started just like busy nowadays. So this is the long-term vision and also the inspiration for me to build something that really matters. So you talk a lot about being inspired from obviously different companies across the world. So I'm just curious, what do you read in terms of like global tech news? But also I'm wondering what else do you read locally, domestically as well? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, domestically, actually, I follow business news every day, popular business news like uh, Second Times or Vietnam Investment Reviews to get to know the local business scenes and to be on top of it, you know, see the trend of the business fellows, where they are going, what they're concerned about, things like that, yeah. And what do you read for global news? Do you follow TechCrunch or Tech in Asia? Of course. Those are the popular ones that I follow. And I read a lot of blog posts on Medium and many others, uh, popular tech news. Any authors you like on Medium or blogs? Well, I am a big fan of Y Combinators and I follow on the kind of blog and essays related to how to build a, a successful startup. 
What has been the most difficult part about building this second startup so far? Well, I think uh, it's a uh, typical story of a, uh, a founder with no technical background. It's difficult to recruit talent for early stage startup. I think it's the challenge the same everywhere. So especially for busy, we are in B2B SaaS and this is a very new in Vietnam. So when I share with the candidates about our vision, mission, and it's also hard for them to visualize what we are trying to do. So that's the biggest challenge for early stage startup here in Vietnam. So how did you go about finding your technical co-founder? Because that's such a common problem for not just Vietnamese founders, but Southeast Asian and global founders. So how did you go about doing it? It's just pure luck. When I came back to Vietnam and decided to build Busy, it's very difficult to find the, the right one who share the same vision and, and mission. And I have to talk to a lot of people in the network and uh, you know, at the same time prepare for everything on the business side. And uh, one day, one of the friends in my network introduced me to my uh, CTO co-founder. And at that time, actually, he was thinking about building something else, but also in, in B2B SaaS. And we had a meeting and discussed about the, the opportunities. So after that, he got convinced and jumped on board. <laughs> Tell us how you convinced him. Was it at a coffee or <laughs> how did you convince him? Yeah. Over lunch. <laughs> and tell us, because you know, a lot of people don't know. Okay, so I got I to gotta ask you this question, right? So how many people did you talk to looking for your technical co-founder, you think? Wow, uh, so many. <laughs> I couldn't count. I lost. Uh, you think a hundred? Yeah, in that range. Yeah. Connect with people on LinkedIn, send messages. In in Vietnam, we, we don't have a kind of a platform or a uh, something like uh, in Singapore or in the US where we have uh, accelerator or incubator to connect co-founders together. So we have to try to reach out by ourselves. So it took a lot of time and effort. So you're going through the 100 and obviously it was a two-way evaluation. You're evaluating them, they're evaluating you. Mm-hmm. So how were you evaluating and looking for your founder out of the hundreds that you talked to? Well, I think the first important thing is that they already have the right skill and they already have the right skill and experience to play that CTO, co-founder role. Yeah? And secondly, I think they must share the same vision and they really have the, the, the same passion for, for B2B SaaS. As I mentioned to you earlier, in, in Vietnam, it's easier to talk to people about B2C startup. They get it right away. But for B2B, as, and especially for accounting and finance, this is something very, very new to them. And what is it that your technical co-founder saw in you? How do they evaluate you? <laughs> well, uh, I think I, I got to ask him that question as well. <laughs> so he's uh, much younger than me and uh, he's about 30 years old at that time and uh, was eager to do something also, uh, to, to start to build something on his own. And um, he's also looking for a co-founder with strong business background. I think that he, he thought that uh, I got the right skill as well in, in business. Uh, we complement uh, each other. Yeah, that's good. When people start to get to know each other, it's not just one lunch. Also, you started talking and building that relationship with him. How do you recommend people have that discussion about how to build that working relationship with a new co-founder? 
Wow, I think it's tough, especially when you don't know your co-founder previously. You just met and for a few coffees and, and discussed ideas. But I think we, we got to find out if co-founders really share the same values and especially have certain qualities that write for a startup co-founders. For me, I think perseverance, grit is something that's very important for co-founder at the very early stage of startup. There's a lot of challenge and you must have the right mentality. Never quit. Otherwise, we cannot go so far until now two years. We've been through a lot of ups and downs, but still working effectively with each other. So when you talk about working effectively with each other, what did you have to learn or change about how you work in order to, to work better with him? Mm -hmm. I have to understand where my strengths and weaknesses are and then have a complete trust and ownership for my co-founder. You know, everything related to technical issues and problems or strategy to, to build the architecture, it's up to him to make a, the final decision. I think that's the complete trust between the, the, the two co-founders that works. When you think about that and you start making a decision to work and start building it out, and then you start, there's a team of two, and then now you start adding more and more people. What was it like to start hiring new teammates for the team? Wow, um, it's an interesting fact. Uh, we were actually three co-founders at the very beginning, and one of them left after a few months because he found out that it's not the right thing for him. His background is in big consulting firm, one of the big four accounting firms in Vietnam. He's great at what he, he did, but uh, for tech startup, this is a very different culture. After a few months, he said, this is not uh, something that I'm not uh, looking forward to. So we left with two co-founders. Yeah, so that's what I mentioned about the uh, earlier about the perseverance and uh, the right fit. For the first few engineers, thanks to my uh, CTO co-founders, his network, he can convince people to 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 jump on with us in the the very early time. And uh, I think it's very difficult at that time. Nobody knows about busy, and uh, it's very difficult for them to understand what we are trying to do. And Obviously, in the market, uh, there's a big competition for talents, especially for engineers. So getting the first few engineers was really tough. And then people come and go. They got better offers. So that is a, a constant challenge for us during the first year. But uh, after one year, when we, we got the product out into the market, we have some reputation. It's getting easier. Interesting, because the reputation is getting easier. Can you tell us more about that? For recruiting people, when we got the better brand name, we got a product that already in the market. We also have support from our VC investors to connect with people. I think it's getting easier to expose to talents and uh, build a better brand name out there. There you are, and it sounds like you've gone through a lot of good times as well as a lot of tough times. So could you tell of us of a time when you were brave to overcome some challenges? Well, I think the decision to start busy was in itself a, a brave decision for a uh, 
conventional career roadmap for a uh, post-MBA student. It could be consulting or investment bank or having a good job at a corporate with good salary. But uh, at that moment, I decided to risk it all and uh, come back to Vietnam to start the business. When you think about that, what's so scary about setting up a business for those people who have not yet set up a business? Could you explain what's so scary? Wow, a lot of uncertainties. That scare a lot of people if you not have a high tolerance for uncertainties. We all know that there is a high failure rate for startup in the first three months. And when you start a business, it's an all-in commitment for at least three to five years Lots of trade-offs in terms of personal life and also at other opportunities. So I think uh, so. that's it. <laughs> what did you find was important or helpful in reducing the uncertainty? Because from your background, I know that you, very, you seem very intentional about the fact that you wanted to build another startup. And mm-hmm. so you were like mm-hmm. going to do your MBA and then you found the idea, then you came back. You're very intentional yeah. in reducing the uncertainty, right? Exactly. Um, yeah. Exactly, exactly. So um, I'm a uh, big fan of the Lean Startup methodology. And I uh, kind of calculate or define on the risk that can happen for a early stage startup from the very beginning, from the product risk, market risk, and uh, technology risk, everything. So I try to manage and de-risk as much as possible. And if you can control and, and manage risk, then you can increase the probability of success, right? So that's where I, I come from. <laughs> What advice would you give to people who are looking to set up their own startup and they're worried about risk and wondering how to reduce it? How would you coach them or advise them to be smarter or wiser in setting up a startup? Yeah, I think uh, risk is a normal thing for startups. And somehow you have to be very comfortable dealing with risk, but uh, be brave and be realistic to face and embrace the, the reality and try to come up with a strategy to manage on those risks. How do you take risk when everyone around you who kind of loves you doesn't want you to take that risk, right? <laughs> 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 right. Like your parents, maybe your partner, your friends, your colleagues, they don't want you to take the risk because they say it's too risky. You know, hey Vince, it's too risky. Maybe you shouldn't think about it. I see my other friends fail and- So how do you think about it or feel about it? Right. Uh, I'm very lucky to have friends and family who are very supportive with whatever endeavor that I try to do. They understand me that whatever I I try to do, I already calculate and, and think thoroughly. So that's something that I find very lucky. But uh, at the end of the day, when you actually find something that you really passionate about, you have to go and deal with it, no matter what other people say. So <laughs> just just do it. <laughs> I mean, you talk about doing it, right? And it's so tough. How does someone take care of themselves? How do you take care of yourself while being aware of all the risk and the fear and the uncertainty? Mm-hmm. Well, I think uh, other startup founders also have the same 
challenge. There is a great unbalance of work and life during the early stage of the business, but uh, it, it seems like that the way it is, and we have to accept the facts. I just try to manage my time better, spend time for myself as much as possible whenever I can, trying to keep my positive energy going on so that I have the, the right energy and, and motivation to deal with all the challenges. Do you feel it gets easier or harder as the company grows <laughs> in terms of taking care of yourself? Yes, uh, definitely. You get easily absorbed into work and, and loss of operation and everything. Once you are passionate about your work and you really, really involved in everything, until you sometimes you find that you are really burned out. So I try my best to manage my level of energy and my positive thoughts on the time so that I can balance myself. When you think about balancing yourself, how do you know if you're not balanced? <laughs> when you feel that you don't have the, the drive or the, the energy to wake up in the morning and go to the office and you see that, wow, that's something that I need to really pay attention to. Yeah. Awesome. And, you know, when you're thinking about all of this, who are some role models that you like or admire? For the role model, I think, uh, you know, it could be a cliche, but uh, Steve Jobs is a kind of uh, this leader that really inspire me. The way he lead people, the way he can create innovation. That's really many lessons that we can learn from his leadership. Do you have any role models in Vietnam? In Vietnam, there are many successful businessmen. One of the names that uh, I really admire is Mr. Tai, the uh, chairman and CEO of Mobile World. He built one of the largest retail chains in Vietnam from scratch, went through many failures, but still never give up and then successfully build a really big business. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming to the show, Vince. I would love to paraphrase the three big themes I got from you. Mm -hmm. The first is thank you so much for sharing about Vietnam and your personal journey from Vietnam in the States and back and how you actually got around to not only be someone who was working as an operator in launching markets for Dairy Queen, but also being coming a first-time founder and then a second-time founder mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, where you are today. The second thing is thank you so much for your advice on how to be a business co-founder without a technical co-founder and how to go about searching for over 100 candidates and what they were looking for in you and what you were looking in for them. So some good advice. The third thing I really enjoyed was, I think your approach to what you said, you know, is reducing uncertainty, how to make and manage the risk of becoming a founder and using the lean startup. Also, you're savvy moving across geographies to get inspired by new ideas and come back. As well as some of the self-awareness around your own life and work balance as well. So uh, thank you so much, Vince, for coming on the show. Thank you very much. And I'm very honored. Thank you for listening to Brave. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share this episode with friends and colleagues. Sign up at www.jeremyow.com to discuss this episode with other community members in our forum. Stay well and stay brave.